Well, if you believe Christians like William Wilberforce should have been involved in the abolition of the slave trade and others like Dietrich Bonhoeffer have a moral obligation to oppose people like Hitler, well, then you'll be very surprised to see that Christianity today is back at it again, suggesting that anybody that is politically involved is a evangelical heretic. We'll dig into an article by them and show how something called weaponized empathy is one of the greatest mind viruses of our present age. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. And they are your one-stop shop for all your business solutions. Inflation is making it harder and harder to run a business. And maybe you just find yourself finding it harder and harder to find good employees. Well, Anchor can help you with all of that. All you need to do is go over to A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. And they can help you with vision. They can help you with strategies to take your business to the next level. They will give your vision legs so that it can go further than it ever could alone. So they're doing that with IndieThinker right now and helping us to become the business that we know we can be, but we needed the help to be. So if you need help with payroll solutions, hiring solutions, uh, bookkeeping, accounting, any of those things, then you need to go over to our friends over at Anchor. And if you go there now, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. They're running a special on payroll solutions just for you. So don't forget, if you want your vision to take legs, then you need to go to Anchor. So go right now to A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z and see how they can help you today. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Today we're going to be crushing echo chambers like we always do through the combination of faith and reason as our age becomes more secular. I'll try to paint the picture for why that's really important, and I'm going to do so through talking about one of the greatest mind viruses of our age and the vector with which that mind virus, that parasite, was allowed to infect us all. Now, here's perhaps an analogy for, for how this takes place. You may be aware of the fact that JFK was assassinated the, and died the same day that C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian authors, certainly of the 20th century of our time and perhaps more. Uh, he's the guy that wrote Mere Christianity. For Christians, you'll be very aware of that kind of primer on Christian thought. And then some of you more popularly would know him as the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, books like The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, but he died the same day as JFK, but also Aldous Huxley, who is the author of Brave New World. Now think about this. On the same day that one of the greatest Christian moral teachers of our age died, so also did one of the greatest, perhaps you might say, prophets died. So uh, an, in an age where we desperately need thinkers to keep us from dystopian futures, we're finding that common sense is more and more dying on our watch. Now perhaps... I'm making too much of this analogy, and it just is coincidental, but uh, far be it for me to miss an opportunity to find a great illustration. But if you might agree with me that common sense seems rarer and rarer in our days, we might want to ask ourselves, what are the repercussions for the death of common sense on our watch? And I think at least one of those things is a mind virus known as weaponized empathy. Now, weaponized empathy is a tactic of sorts to force people to take a position that they don't actually agree with and one that is typically not intellectually rational. And the reason people would take a position like that is that they are told that if you do not take that position, you are not empathetic 
and loving. In other words, if you don't agree with me, you are a bigot, a racist, or any other name that you want to fill in the blank there with. And so the idea is just simply this. We will use empathy as a weapon to make you do and act as we wish. Now, for the receipts on this, you have no further to look in, especially in America, than the exceeding demand for racism with such little supply. I'm thinking of things like the Duke University uh, women's athlete who decried the BYU crowd for shouting the N-word, and when those at BYU fully investigated this event and was even able to sample the audio in the audience of the people or the crowd that, of the people that was there that night and, and single out individual people and make sure they heard everything they said, and the person that was actually accused of saying the N-word, it never came from his lips, but it didn't stop the media from decrying BYU and telling them that they should go through this investigation much faster as to not necessitate the thinking process. Well, I'm thinking of people like Jesse Smollett and how he was attacked by two MAGA hat wearing uh, white supremacist in the middle of a winter vortex in Chicago. And of course, Rachel Dolezal, you may remember the name, but she is the very, very white girl who pretended to be black by kinking her hair and tanning her skin and running an NAACP that constantly was being threatened by, by people. When photographs of her started circulating around, um, we finally saw that her family and she is very, very white. And when I say white, I, I mean like Opie Taylor white. That's just fine, Pa. I mean like the Waltons white. Good night, John Boy. But that didn't stop Rachel from acting as though she was the victim of white hate. Now, you may be asking yourself, how did we get to the place where weaponized empathy is actually impactful? Now, I think it has to do something with the, the death of common sense. But, but I would also suggest this, that as our age has become increasingly secular, that we still have the remnants of kind of a puritanical guilt where we all, and I do believe that this is distinctly Western and, and very American, that we all desire to be perceived as virtuous. We all desire to be perceived as good people. Now, where does that come from? Well, I think it comes from from Christianity, that we desire to be seen in our own eyes and in the eyes of other people as very moral. But, but we also because we are a post-Christian secular age, we don't really understand compassion. We don't really understand what love actually looks like. So we're in this kind of middle space where we understand guilt and it is being weaponized against us. And then we also have no understanding of what authentic real love looks like. And forgive me for waxing biblical for a moment because you know how much I hate to use the Bible as a proof text for all things beautiful and good. But Jesus kind of paints this picture. You know, he, in, in Luke chapter six, he talks about the, uh, he gives the woes that he pronounces upon cities for doing evil things. And he, woe to this city, woe to this city, judgment is coming. And then in the very next kind of section in that same chapter of scripture, Jesus then tells his followers to love their enemies. Now, in our secular age, we can't piece those two things together. So you can either take the progressive Christian route and you can just say this, Jesus probably didn't know what he was talking about because he was flawed just like us. And moreover, uh, the Bible contradicts itself over and over and over again. And so the Bible can't really be relied upon for anything other than to just kind of be a guidebook. Or you could take the more nuanced and critical thinking approach, which is to suggest that there is actually no contradiction between pronouncing woes upon cities who are doing evil and disgusting things and telling 
Jesus's disciples and others that follow Jesus that nonetheless we still love people. And perhaps in loving them, Jesus was pronouncing woes. Now, because we don't understand compassion and we don't understand that actually warning people that their actions are going to lead to very bad conclusions is actually one of the most loving things that you can do for people. But secularism has made us stupider and it has made way for weaponized empathy to have great impact. And that's why you see the modern phenomenon of movie studios and filmmakers thinking that the best way that they can make their crap film actually watchable is by calling all of their audience members homophobic and racist. No, I'm not kidding. This is happening more and more and more. Now think about Rings of Power. The moment that this horribly written, meandering, pointless show that destroyed the great writing of one of the greatest thinkers of our time this show, when it came out and was seen for what it was, of course, trolls are coming out of the woodwork. And um, it's not surprising that Rings of Power talks about trolls, I suppose. But, uh, but the, of course, because the, all of the main characters are, are female, of course, it was the patriarchy coming out of each and every evil individual that was decrying this show. And it wasn't the fact that it was horribly written. And then you also think about other shows like Obi-Wan. Every single time a certain actress appeared on the screen, it was because she was black and not because she was a bad actor that people didn't like her performance. And the latest example of this is the movie Bros, which is a big budget homosexual rom-com. Just recently, the guy that co-wrote this and starred in the movie uh, suggested on Twitter that everybody who wants to see this movie is good, but everyone who doesn't is a homophobic weirdo. Now push aside the fact that dudes don't watch rom-coms and this homosexual movie is clearly made for dudes. The movie was not only panned by critics, but also only made $4 million in its opening. And I keep scratching my head wondering how it made a single dollar. But nonetheless, the implication here is just this, that if you don't like the movie, it is simply because you are a homophobe or you're some other evil kind of bigot. And this is becoming more and more the strategy of studios. If a movie is horrible, just make sure that you call everyone racist for not liking it. And then the virtue signalers, signalers of the world who fall for the tactic of weaponized empathy will go to the movie sheerly out of a sense of obligation and guilt for not liking the movie. Because if they don't like it, then it must be because there is something wrong with them and nothing wrong with the movie. Now, the reason I bring this up is not just that weaponized empathy is a tactic used against those who are insufferably stupid, but I also go further than that because it's also being used pretty effectively in Christian circles. Christianity Today, which is the largest Christian publication in the world, has been using weaponized empathy to suggest that any evangelical that happens to take a political stance is nothing less than a heretic. And this by Russell Moore. We'll get to that in just a moment, but I can give you the receipts that this is not just something that is recent with Christianity today. They've Something is happening over there that is causing them to become increasingly liberalized. Um, and by that, I mean articles like this from Christianity Today. And uh, it says this, critical race theory, what Christians need to know. Now, if you thought that you were going to read an article and learn about critical race theory, perhaps you're only partially right. But if you read the subheading under the headline, it says, let's talk about the issue tearing the American church and country apart. Now, 
I've looked at the American church, and I don't think it's being torn apart by critical race theory. Now, perhaps there's some issues going on in uh, the Southern Baptist specifically, but there is not actually much debate. Critical race theory is an intellectually and spiritually bankrupt ideology that people need to be aware of, but certainly not study because they believe that it is redemptive. Uh, but it doesn't stop the authors over at Christianity Today from doing a puff piece on critical race theory and how it's actually greatly beneficial and evolved since its days of rooting in critical theory in the uh, Frankfurt School uh, by clear avowed Marxist. The article goes on to say so many things, but I just want to give you at least just one quote here from the Christianity Today article that will give you the idea. Horkheimer used critical as a synonymous word with Marxism. His tool of analysis was the lens of Marxism, and he used critical theory to identify what values of capitalism were producing injustice in society that he was in. But it is good for us to understand that from the beginning, that framework is not how it was always stayed. It did not always stay within the conversation of Marxism. So in other words, even though organizations like BLM still clearly avow critical race theory, critical race theory has evolved and it's, it's no longer rooted just simply in, in Marxism. So uh, we also have other articles from Mark Galley, who was the editor of Christianity Today, um, and he suggests that Trump should be removed from office. Well, so much for not being political, Russell Moore. The editor of Christianity Today was widely decried for creating this article where he said that the president of the United States should be removed because of his moral abuses and so on and so forth. Now, I won't go into the article. I'll link it below. You can read it for yourself and see what you think about it. Um, but you should know that you'll get the gist of the article from this, this quote that came from Mark Galley after he wrote this article, because this really sums up what the article is really all about anyway. So in reference to the article, he said this, I know hardly anyone, let alone any evangelical Christian who voted for Trump. I describe evangelicals like me as elite evangelicals. And this class of evangelicals has discovered that we have family members so different. They seem like aliens in our midst. These other evangelicals often haven't finished college, and if they have jobs, and apparently a lot of them don't, they are blue-collar jobs, entry-level work. They don't write books or give speeches. They don't attend conferences or of evangelicals for social justice or evangelicals for immigration reform. They are deeply suspicious of the mainstream media. A lot of them voted for Trump. So push aside for a moment the fact that it is almost a moral obligation in our society today to distrust the media. Um, you get the idea that the article uh, from Mark Galley and Mark Galley's tone in whatever he edited there at Christianity Today is to prove that everybody that doesn't think like him is part of the problem and not an elitist like, like I. Again, they, they don't write books and they don't go to conferences like, like we do. These are the deplorables that we must resist at all cost. Now, you should know that shortly after Mark Galley made these comments about Donald Trump and they decried him for the don't grab the pee tape that was done by Billy Bush and TMZ, um, and decried Christians for ever being able to vote for such a deplorable human being as Donald Trump, that Mark Galley himself also was accused of nine counts of sexual harassment for grabbing women in unwanted ways, um, and then was fired. But Mark Galley is not the 
least of the issues at Christianity Today since he was fired. Russell Moore continues to write pieces that essentially are primers on weaponized empathy. And today I want to go through an article by Christianity Today because I believe that it serves as a great a great way for us to, at least if nothing else, interact with material so that we don't have to believe what it says at face value and we can critically think about what's being being written, but also so that we can at least expose the tactic of weaponized empathy that is used consistently by Christianity today and is now starting to impact the church in a much larger fashion as it is the culture. And so this article just simply is a, a, a hit piece that more or less tries to do what so many uh, progressive Christians and Christians that are pushing further and further left are trying to do today, which is to suggest that anybody that disagrees with me is a Christian nationalist or the F word, a fundamentalist, which is perhaps the worst thing in their opinion that you can be. And the headline of this article says, The Rise of Evangelical Heretics. And it starts by saying this, As my colleague Stephanie McDade reported earlier this week, LifeWay Research released a survey conducted for Legionnaire Ministries. It concludes that a shockingly high percentage of American evangelicals hold beliefs about Jesus and salvation that every wing of the Christian church would define as heresy. Now, I use polls very often on the show. I, I do it to try to make points, so I don't blame them for doing that here. I think we need to know that they're uh, that there are lies, there are damned lies, and there are statistics. Um, so take that with a grain of salt. But let's even suggest that this is true. The further suggestion that actually what uh, what is causing the decline of Christian orthodoxy is really what's at stake in this this article here. And so it's incredibly important, even if you're not a Christian, you should be concerned with the decline of Christianity in the American West and what is causing it, because you might see that there are similar things going on in in the culture writ large that are also impacting other institutions beyond the church that are relevant to you. Now, his suggestion is that the thing that is eroding the church, the thing that is eroding um, the understanding of, of Christians is the decline of orthodox theology. Now, here's where, I will, where I'll agree with Russell Moore, um, that, that there is an increasing decline of actually a biblical worldview in the mind of people or in understanding just of the Bible writ large. I think of a recent... Um, poll that was released that said the vast majority of Christian pastors do not hold a biblical worldview any longer. But we're going to disagree here, Russell Moore and I, with exactly what is the cause for the decline of Christian understanding of Scripture. And quite frankly, we're going to disagree chronologically because Russell Moore is going to suggest that this is a rather modern phenomenon rather than it is actually something that has been happening for a long time long time. So what does Russell Moore think the actual culprit behind the decline of biblical literacy actually is? Well, he'll go on to tell us this. I suspect most of us, though, are not surprised by the results. Today's American evangelical Christianity seems to be more focused on hunting heretics internally than perhaps in any other generation. Now, this is quite a statement. Um, this is either the most historically illiterate statement anyone has ever uttered, or it is just the dumbest. Because, frankly, the church was always in the business of hunting heretics internally. In fact, heretics that are internal are the worst kind. I mean, Russell Moore started talking about the Aryan controversy of, 
in, in this article started, started by talking about how that impacted the early church. Well, the Arian controversy was a, was a controversy within the church. All of church history is replete with instances of issues within the church that caused Christians to get up in arms and want to defend Orthodox Christianity. It is the reason for creeds. It is the reason for church councils by and large. And so it is not uh, really an issue of external heresy that we have to be so concerned with as much as it is internal heresy. Those who profess themselves to be Christian or use the name Christian, but then talk about a Jesus that doesn't look like the Jesus of Scripture. But he'll go on and he'll say this. The difference, however, is that excommunications are happening not over theological views, but over partisan politics or the latest social media debates. Now, he's trying to separate these two intentionally. Because it is possible to have heretical theological views on social media, isn't it? Isn't it possible to have uh, heretical theological views that are espoused through the auspices of a political party? After all, Russell Moore and his ilk are the ones who want to decry conservative uh, white male evangelicals for being extremist and ultra MAGA if they would deign to vote for Donald Trump in 2024. So isn't it true, in other words, that partisan politics can take the form of heretical Christian views. I think to myself about the abortion debate. If you are a Christian and you believe that abortion is murder, then you would do everything in your power and you would be in your right, moral, consistent mind to do everything within your power to resist any and every law that would hurt and injure an innocent life in the womb. So this is where what he wants to call being politically partisan just simply means being moral. It's problematic to use a word that Russell Moore and his buddies would use to use a word and then to not define it. Because we throw around the word political and we throw it at Christians, but we never define it very much like the word Christian nationalist. Well, what, do we, what does it mean to be political? Well, if we think about politics in its finest, it's not mudslinging and it's not just simply policy. It's actually a social contract that a society agrees upon that determines how we should live with one another. So in fact, politics may be described another way as love for neighbor. And in that way, politics is actually very Christian and something that Christians should be involved in making sure that it does the right things. And I have to step back, too, and just say, I, I just think it's really funny, too, that Christians are being political when they disagree with Russell Moore, but Christians like Mark Galley, when they want to get rid of Donald Trump, they're just, they're just being good Christians. So I, I want to read a little bit more in the article just to give you a little bit more flavor for um, what it looks like to critically think about these arguments that are being thrown at us. So he goes on to say this. Several years ago, a combative atheist wrote, that his fellow atheists should drop the word atheism because it gave too much weight to theism. The ultimate goal, he argued, was not to spread atheism, but to emphasize that belief in God is so lacking in credulity that it doesn't deserve to be seriously entertained. His arguments included no little sarcasm about the perceived stupidity of Christianity, along with strategies to move people away from their supernatural myths toward what he saw as realism, a world without God. The same atheist spoke at a recent pastor's conference. He has appeared in videos by evangelical groups to accuse other evangelicals of being woke and in an unacknowledged dizzying irony of denying the sufficiency of scripture. 
In his view, the divided line between the sheep and the goats is the correct view on political causes, not belief in Christ or fidelity in the gospel. Now, the person he's talking about here, by the way, is James Lindsay. And the reason I know that is that, because I might be a little suspicious here, but the conversation that he's talking about is actually a conversation that I have had with James Lindsay on my podcast. Now, I've only been doing this a year, and our channel is very young, so I'm not positive that Russell Moore even knows that that indie thinker exists. He will. But, but if I was a more suspicious person, I would suggest that he is specifically talking about my podcast and how we talked about the wokeification of Christianity. Um, and, and, and he has said this in, in multiple settings. But I, but I think, more importantly, it's really funny that Russell Moore now has a problem with us reaching across the aisle to speak to people who may be subjects on who may be experts on subjects that that we are not. Uh, so, for instance, James Lindsay is undeniable, undeniably a a expert in critical theory, has written books about it, and has spoken at length in Christian circles. Now, I thought that we were supposed to be thinkers and supposed to engage in this kind of material. And so we're supposed to speak to the feminist theologian and the liberation theologian and supposed to hear what they have to say and be willing to sort through those ideas ourselves. But all of a sudden, when it's James Lindsay and he's disagreeing with Russell Moore, apparently we're not supposed to do that. The point through all of this to bring it home is just that there is an incredible hypocrisy in Christianity today and Russell Moore. What he wants to suggest is basically that anybody that disagrees with him is an evangelical heretic. I too am deeply concerned about the lack of biblical literacy in our churches today, especially among the pastors who lead these churches. But there is never once a mention in all that Russell Moore talks about of progressive Christianity, of the rise of liberal theology impacting pulpits and disregarding the view of the inerrancy of scripture. He doesn't talk about identity politics and bringing on feminist theologians onto podcasts like he did with Kristen Dumay. He doesn't speak about any of the excesses of the left. He only wants to talk about the excesses of the right. Now, I think it's fair to talk about both, but there's clearly one that is more responsible for the biblical illiteracy of our age, and that is a group of people who do not hold a high view of scripture. So why all the name-calling, Christian nationalists and fundy, um, why a whole article dedicated to the rise of evangelical heretics, of course not Russell Moore, why all of that? Simply because of this. Because institutions like Christianity today, and unfortunately, the institution of the church, is being inundated with leftist ideology. And that leftist ideology is reliant upon emotional arguments and getting you emotional. And this is where weaponized empathy comes into play. They need to make sure that you feel like you're the worst Christian in the world ever if you don't agree with them. But the problem with that take is that it reduces conversations about disagreements to emotional arguments rather than intellectual conversations about what really is going on. And when people are emotional, communication is low. When people are emotional, they don't think for themselves. I've said it on the show before, and I want to suggest it again. That, that famous quote that you can't make people sit on bayonets is kind of at play here. And that quote just simply means this, that you can control people so long with force. But the real way to control people is, is to make them think that what you're doing is in their best interest or to make them emotional so that they're not thinking for themselves. 
Because if you can make them emotional, if you can use weaponized empathy to convince them that this is the pathway to truly being empathetic, don't worry about rational thought, don't worry about biblical thought, be a good person, trust me, and don't get name called. And the way that you can avoid that is by doing what I tell you to do. That kind of leftist ideology is invading institutions all over the place. And wherever it is invading, we must do something about it. The death of rational thought, the death of common sense, makes way for weaponized empathy. And that weaponized empathy is making us stupider. And without that clear kind of rational thinking, we suggest things like this, that we have our values right side up, but our theology upside down, as though these two things are in competition with each other, as though good theology is the seedbed for right values. And if Christians happen upon right values, which is happening less and less, it is because perhaps they have stumbled upon good theology. Now, I can only tell you this, that if you're going to have right values and right theology, it's going to necessitate that you put down Christianity today, grab a Bible, and resist weaponized empathy in all of its forms. Because if you're going to do what's right, you're going to have to think for yourself. And I wish you the best as you do it. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.